Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Why we had to memorize the prologue and recite it in booming voices, a gaggle of first-year students standing outside our English professor's office door, remains a mystery to me. Not to mention the fact that I can still pull out this party trick, but I know some of you too can say this with me. One April with a shore sota, the drucht of March hath pierced to the rota, in bathed every vein in sweet liqueur, of which vertu engendered is the fleur. Yeah. Here begins Geoffrey Chaucer's long and winding Canterbury Tales. How many of you can still do it? Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Penned in Middle English at the end of the 14th century, Canterbury Tales is a collection of stories of a motley group awakened from the slumber of winter to spring when than a longing folk to go on pilgrimages. Translation, then do folk long to go on pilgrimages. Why didn't they just say so? <laughs> Throughout history, across religious traditions, pilgrim stories have featured prominently, full of longing, sacrifice, and full-on self-destructiveness, all in the nature of reaching some higher state of communion with God. Not exactly what most of us are thinking when asked, so where are you going on vacation? Well, there's pilgrimage, and then there's tourism. Both pilgrims and tourists take time off. Both go to sea. Both bring back souvenirs, although there's a pretty wide gap between relics of saints with miracle-bestowing powers and t-shirts. But pilgrimage is a form of initiation. The pilgrim is consciously seeking a change of mind and heart. The tourist seeks entertainment and waits for something to happen. Before the 19th century, tourism didn't exist. In addition to pilgrimage, usually only conquest or war, trade or the promise of a better life would inspire people to uproot. I have no idea, not even a theory really, about the birth of tourism. American political writer Hakim Bey thinks it was a bad idea. In his provocative piece entitled Overcoming Tourism, he writes, the tourist seeks out culture because in our world, culture has been replaced with a mall. Because our education is a preparation for a lifetime of work and consumption. Because we ourselves have ceased to create. <laughs> 
Even though tourists appear to be physically present in nature or culture, one might call them ghosts, haunting ruins, lacking all bodily presence. They're not really there, but rather move through, collecting images rather than experience. All too frequently, their vacations are taken in the midst of other people's misery and even add to that misery. Harsh. I invite you to join me this morning in reflecting on the power of pilgrimage and the relative emptiness of tourism and how we as a people of faith might reimagine the spirit in which we go out into the world. Intuitively, we know the difference between pilgrimage and tourism. When I was traveling alone in Japan in the late 1970s, every time I spoke with someone in my best Japanese, no matter what I was trying to communicate, I was, without fail, directed to the nearest restroom. <laughs> it became clear to me that having a round-eyed American making even a poor attempt at the native tongue was an oddity to locals. They couldn't understand me because they couldn't believe their ears. I hate to think about what that says about the foreigners who had gone before me. In a word, they mistook me, an earnestly aspiring pilgrim, for a tourist. So I'm thinking about the Hajj, the sacred journey to Mecca, undertaken each year by some three million pilgrims seeking to fulfill their religious duty as observant Muslims. According to the Quran, God's wide earth and everything in it are sacred, not only as divine creations, but also because the material world is full of waymarks or signs of divine reality. Islam itself was born between two journeys, Muhammad's Hajirah, or flight from Mecca to Medina, and his Hajj, or return voyage. The Hajj is that movement toward the origin and center for as every Muslim. I've never been to Mecca, but my understanding is that like many pilgrimage sites, the local economy is almost entirely dependent on the taxes and the services to the pilgrims, the hajis. Nonetheless, no one would argue that the primary takeaway from the hajj is material. As the hajis come within sight of the holy city, they cry out, Labaika alabama, meaning, I am here. O oh Lord, the gifts of the Hajj are spiritual, and we will know the Arabic word for that gift. The word baraka means blessing. If, on the other hand, someone approaches Mecca as a tourist, by definition, they don't experience the blessing. What they see is mostly some quaint, ancient ritual unfolding to which they feel little or no kinship. They are not touched 
or moved. The south rim of the Grand Canyon is the perfect vantage point from which to experience this difference. Many of the nearly five million tourists who visit in any given year will not even get out of their cars. Some peer over the edge of the mile-deep abyss and mumble something inane about a big ditch. Some spend their entire time with a camera pressed to their faces, making a virtual visual recording of the wonder of the world before them without ever really seeing it. And then there are the pilgrims who stand in silent awe with tears on their cheeks or laugh or hug or shout, who open their arms and their hearts to the vast glory and let it work its magic on them. Maybe tourists and pilgrims alike come in search of something authentic, but the tourists miss it. Only the pilgrims find it. Tourists stand outside the experience of the sacred. Pilgrims enter in. But that which most sharply highlights the divide between tourism and pilgrimage can be summed up as hospitality. Turning again to the law of the desert where both wandering and hospitality are sacred arts and hospitality can make the difference between survival and death, there is a word governing the behavior of the guest. It's ada, roughly translated as civility or good manners. But ada is more than form. It is, by definition, a sincere and heartfelt expression. The wanderer must be taken in, the dervish must be fed, and the breaking of bread and the sharing of salt consecrate a sort of kinship the traveler consents to a temporary adoption. Anything less would violate Ada. The traveler is viewed by the host as a kind of perambulatory shrine bearing the gift of Baraka. There is no concept of hospitality or ada or baraka in a tourist economy. Tourism is often viewed as a necessary evil. Tourists are not guests. The relationship is more host and parasite. Tourists are merely consumers. As seekers, as people drawn to a life of spiritual awakening. How can we just say no to the vulgarity of tourism and yes to a deep and deepening relationship with the holy? Hakim Bey makes two suggestions. First, he invites us to set our sights on travel as an art of reciprocity, an act of reciprocity rather than alienation. He invites us to envision and enter into a productive and mutually enhancing relation between self and other, guest and host, 
a form, he writes, of cross-cultural synergy in which the whole exceeds the sum of the parts. In other words, choose to travel, he says, according to a secret economy of Baraka, whereby not only the shrine, but also the pilgrims themselves, that's you and I, that we ourselves have blessings to bestow. Second, he invites us to embrace what he calls intentional travel. This might mean choosing to go with a fixed itinerary with the express purpose of bestowing and receiving very specific blessings from people and places. It might mean making ourselves available to any signs or coincidences that might appear and inspire us onward. Maybe we take whatever path presents itself as the next greatest adventure, like the Knights of the Round Table. Or we choose a non-random number, such as the biblical 40 days and 40 nights, and commit to never sleeping in the same place twice. What if we gave ourselves to a rule of complete spontaneity and total abandon? Imagine that. This, then, is the question, the challenge, at the heart of it all. What would it mean to us, to you, to me, to choose to travel not just to foreign lands, but right here, through our city, as pilgrims? To view each person we meet as a teacher or an angel, each place we visit as a shrine, a place of initiation and transformation, everyone and everywhere sacred. What would it mean to go forth and bless the world? In closing, I want to share with you again Anito Barrows and Joanna Macy's gorgeous translation of Rilke's God Speaks to Each of Us. God speaks to each of us as God makes us, then walks with us silently out of the night. These are the words we dimly hear. You sent out beyond your recall. Go to the limits of your longing. Embody me. Flare up like flame and bake big shadows I can move in. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby is the country they call life. You will know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand. Beloved spiritual companions, let us reimagine the spirit in which we go out into the world. May we seek to free ourselves from the emptiness of tourism and give ourselves to pilgrimage, traveling through our days with adah, civility, and kindness, 
and bearing blessings, Baraka. Let us go forth and bless the world. Amen.